Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The Business Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful and, yes, some not-so-successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit. Today we have Van Doherty, an M&A advisor in Raleigh, North Carolina. Van shares some interesting transactions with us, and there is one of those that may be of interest for those of you that have partners in your business. I want you to pay particular attention to this story that Van shares with us because it contains some valuable lessons that can be learned from this partnership story. I'll give you a hint. The business went from a consistent year-over-year growth rate to a valuation of zero in a few short years. You'll want to take some notes on this episode if you have a partner in your business. And even if you don't, there are some great insights to be learned on what not to do when selling a business. Then Van shares a story of a family-owned 30-location retail business that had passed to the second generation. And as it came time for the third generation to decide whether or not they were interested in taking over the business, several of the family members who were minority shareholders sold their shares. I want you to pay attention and learn what happened when an issue of a minority shareholder tanked the sale with buyers when the business was listed for sale. If you have a minority shareholder or shareholders in your business, you should take notes on this episode. The pandemic has had various implications for a lot of businesses. While some businesses struggled, others flourished during the pandemic and became prime acquisition targets as the pandemic progressed because they provided services that were in demand during the pandemic. Van shares how one of these businesses, when listed for sale, had ample suitors for the business and how they decided on which buyer they wanted to carry on the legacy of the business and finally accepted an offer that wasn't the first or the best. I think you'll find the reasons enlightening on which offer they accepted. Finally, Van provides insights on a consulting business that is normally more difficult to sell. Businesses that are consulting, personal services businesses, find it a challenge to selling because often the consultant builds the business around them. Not in this case. The golden nugget in this story is for any entrepreneur who finds himself the key person in the business. And if this is you, you should be able to optimize your business exit by listening to what happened in this particular story that Van shares with us. I think this episode has something for everyone, so buckle up. Get out your notepad and let's get rolling. This is Marvin L. Storm and we're here with Van Daughtry. Van, we're going to chat a little bit about some of the transactions you've been on the Business Exit Stories podcast today. And you're going to talk a little bit about all those transactions you've been involved in, some of which went great and some had their challenges. Van, would you take a few minutes to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about where you're located? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Marvin. I'm excited to uh, be invited and be a part of your podcast, uh, first and foremost. So again, Van Daughtry, uh, my company's name is Van Daughtry Consulting, LLC. 
my primary focus is in uh, business and franchise brokerage, typically focused on the sell side of the transaction, but do occasionally work with some buyers. I'm located here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, real growing uh, active area. All right, Van, thanks for that short introduction. Why don't we have you share with our audience here a couple of transactions that you've been involved in that kind of had their challenges and maybe made it across the closing line and you consummated a sale for the business owner and maybe not. So why don't we chat about a couple of those? Why don't you start us off with something that you think our audience would be interested in on a transaction that had its challenges? Sure. Well, uh, Marvin, one that comes to mind is is uh, a company who uh, was uh, retail services and um, they had multiple locations. Gosh, probably 30, 30 or so locations here on the East Coast. Very, very attractive business. Was this kind of a, a large company with a family-owned husband and wife? Yes, it, it was family-owned, uh, husband and wife, uh, founders. Uh, like I said, probably close to 30 locations and in business for 25 plus years. Yeah. And I assume those locations were spread over multiple states? They were. They were. Um, they they grew uh, over time uh, through both acquisition and organically. So, yes. So what was the real motivation for, you know, this family business sounds like successful and growing. What was the real motivation for deciding to exit the business? Sure. Well, um, having done it for a number of years uh, and there was a transition from uh, one generation to the next, uh, the the parents, the family who had started it, uh, you know, there were uh, some passing of the members, and then some of the younger generation uh, then then took over the business, and so that's that was that. But the ultimate sale decision was around, you know, uh, basically burnout, uh, having been in the business for twenty five plus years. And I suppose, you know, when you get to the point of burning out, you kind of want to move on and do something else or maybe even look toward retirement. Exactly. And that's where they were in the process. So how did the uh, transaction kind of unfold? What were some of the challenges that presented themselves as the transaction made its way through? Being the industry that they were in, it was very attractive uh, to to potential buyers. I, I had a number of inquiries um, you know, fielded a number of calls and, and whatnot, and, and we established at the time what we felt was, you know, uh, a good market value. Um, but there, there were some challenges around um, accepting uh, that value, the, uh, the expectation of, uh, that was there of what it should be and, and what, what they wanted to be. And um, some additional challenges were around uh, minority uh, ownership within the company. Let's focus on that expectation of monetizing all that hard work that they put in for, it sounds like, several decades here. So you developed a market valuation for the business, and the business went to market. And what did the market kind of tell you? Was it, uh, did you get, it uh, sounds like it, you got initial, a lot of interest. Did that interest really validate the market value? Uh, the market value, um, that had been said, and 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 then where the uh, potential buyers came back, there was a there was a discrepancy of roughly around twenty percent in that, uh, and and those those were fairly consistent. 
you know, we had a couple of different um, potential offers and, and um, they, they were in a range that um, were, were fairly consistent with one another. You know, you've been in this business for a while. And when you get the market telling you something that's different than what the expectations of the entrepreneur, founders, owners of the business are, uh, that's not an unusual situation necessarily. How did the owners in this particular case kind of digest that, you know, their business probably wasn't worth what they thought it was going to be? Well, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's like, you know, people not thinking your baby's pretty, but it's, it's, it's something along the lines of, you know, you, you walk into a, a situation where uh, you've had others tell you what you think, what they believe it should be, and and you come to believe that that after hearing from others. So this you're talking about others. You know, the owners chatted with people they knew in the industry or around, and they they say, well, gee, you know, your business is probably worth this, and they say, well, probably is. You know, <laughs> exactly. That that's right. That's that's a great example. And so now you have all this interest. You got offers coming back that aren't really you know, as you said, about 20% lower than the expectation that they were expecting. And uh, what happened next? Well, um, we continued to have those discussions. You had mentioned something about a minority shareholder. Oh, yes. And that and that's where I, I thought that would be uh, something. I, I, Marvin, I really believe that that's probably the thing that um, brought the valuation um, or, or the perceived value to to the buyer down because there there was uh, minority uh, shareholders in the business and um, and when when the due diligence was done and that was that was brought out uh, it created some sense of doubt uh, within the um, the buyers in terms of the impact of of you know how how that minority uh, shareholder impacted the business overall. And so we have a minority shareholder. Maybe we could do a little bit more digging on that to understand the kind of the dynamic. So I assume that this minority shareholder, since it was a family business, was probably another member of the family that had been involved or maybe not so involved, but had been, you know, bought out, it sounds like you're saying they had been bought out or at least weren't active in the business. Is that kind of the situation? That's exactly that's exactly what it was. When they were bought out, was it amicable? I mean, they were glad to go or they felt they got good value for, for their shares? Well, at the time, it, it seemed amicable. But uh, as many of us in this industry know that... Um, Family dynamics can change <laughs> over time, and and this, you know, being being a family business, um, those dynamics did change over time, and so it was it was not always um, a, a perfect situation. And so you say a buyer then in their due diligence process kind of uncovered that there's this minority shareholder out there. It's got a promissory note probably isn't really excited. Maybe they thought their shares were worth more now. And it was kind of kind of a potential problem for a buyer to be dealing with this type of issue, family dynamics, and could rear its head down the road. And you said that that probably drove down the price a little bit. Did it actually hinder the progressing of the business to a sale, to consummating a sale? 
It did. It did. Um, uh, that that was not resolved. Um, you know, there was still an active um, debt there, or you know, uh, activity there, and um, which everything was was done as it should. But I, I just think that with that hanging over the business, that it it did impact uh, the buyer's interests and and whether that business could have commanded, um, you know, the, the, the asking price. Well, I know that other stories that have been shared here on, on the Business Exit Stories podcast, you know, minority shareholder rights are an issue and buyers, uh, and the buyer's attorneys, when they kind of surface that whole issue of, of minority rights and, and what that contingent liability might be out there, uh, they, it does cause them to take pause and, if they can't get comfortable with that, sometimes the risk of, you know, some future liability outweighs, you know, the actual consummating a deal. And it sounds like that is kind of what happened here because of this minority shareholder issue. Just couldn't, the buyers just couldn't get comfortable with it. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was not as clean of a transaction as, as the buyers, you know, wanted. And, and firstly, it, it also, you know, uh, uh, changed the expectations uh, of where the the sellers want it to be, you know, uh, with the sale price. So, If we're looking back on this transaction, Van, I guess we would say, you know, for those that are listening, when you are dealing with family businesses and you have minority shareholders that are either still in the business or have exited the business. In this case, they had sold out their interests, but it wasn't all that amicable, it sounds like, and there's some contingent liability out there, is that these issues really should uh, be addressed and resolved much earlier in the process, or as apparently in this transaction, uh, it actually depressed the value, and it sounds like the the transaction and the buyers that you brought to the table couldn't get comfortable with it, so the transaction never happened. I, I, when I have conversations, Marvin, with, with my clients, um, I ask them to try to head off or, or you know, think about anything that could um, give pause to, to one or the other parties. And, and so that's, that would be my advice to, to listeners is just to, to think through any potential um, question marks or landmines that, that might be out there and head them off when you can and and be as transparent as you possibly can with it and um and and handle it that way well i think that's good advice van i think that uh you nearly almost have to start thinking like a buyer when you're a a business owner thinking about selling your business you got to start thinking about uh how a buyer is going to perceive your business and i think the real big takeaway here on this transaction though is and it's come up a number of times here on the on our uh, podcast here where transactions uh, have been delayed and sometimes in this case didn't actually happen because of minority shareholder issues. They, it is a real issue. So if you're listening out there and have minority shareholders in your business, you might want to think about that a little bit and chat with your advisors as you're positioning, uh, kind of getting your business ready to, to sell at some point in time. 
Well, that was a great takeaway here. Uh, Van, why don't we uh, move into another transaction you've been involved in? Tell us about the next one, the next transaction that had its issues and some challenges and getting the business closed. Yeah, so um, another transaction that I worked on was in kind of the financial services um, uh, arena. And um, it was, uh, you know, family-owned uh, as well. So was this husband and wife, brothers? Husband and wife. Okay. And how long have they had been in business? Uh, gosh, over, uh, again, another seasoned business, over 20 years. As you got familiar with this business, tell us a little bit about how you brought it to market and who really the buyers in a financial services industry, who, who would be the buyers? What were they looking to accomplish? Right. Well, one thing that's happening, Marvin, uh, that I'm noticing anyway, I see what, uh, curious to know what others think, but I'm seeing a lot of roll up happening in, in these industries or this industry. So when you say roll up for our audience that might not be familiar with that term, why don't you explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, it, it's where, um, it, it, I would also equate it to maybe like a strategic buy or it's looking for companies, uh, trying to acquire other companies where there can be synergies. Uh, and um, and they're trying to grow through acquisition. So, um, in in this particular example, um, this buyer was looking. Uh, the buyers that I spoke with were looking to acquire a company that could leverage some of the technologies that that were starting to happen. And and in the case of my client, um, they were. Um, more on the traditional uh, side of, of uh, you know, customer service, in-person, stand and deliver, uh, and that sort of thing. So, so I'm just kind of curious, does this transaction take place before or during or after? Well, I guess we weren't really after the pandemic here. It continues <laughs> to roll on. But right. it, what time frame are we talking about here? Sure. Uh, the the very beginning was uh, was uh, the early part of 2020. Okay, so just as the pandemic was getting started. Just as the pandemic was starting, yes. Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I think back, financial services, face-to-face, -face, customer service, that kind of world kind of changed. I mean, were, was this company able to adapt to this new environment? Well, I will say that my, you know, the client um, that I represented very much cares cared about their clients, who they represented, how they, you know, uh, were matched up. So it, it was a very important thing for my client that uh, I sought out uh, a good match in in a buyer for them, and uh, they felt strongly that uh, their clients, uh, you know, be very much looked after. Uh, a lot of personal service, uh, taking their time and whatnot. Uh, but what is happening in the industry that we're talking about is that, and COVID precipitated a lot of this, Marvin, is uh, using you know new technologies uh, such as Zoom and and virtual meetings and and whatnot. So, so these buyers that were interested in this company were they local or were they from other states or even across the country? Especially if you're talking about the industry sort of evolving and changing, and relying more on 
kind of the non-face-to-face virtual environment. Tell us a little bit about the type of buyers that were kind of interested in the business. Yeah. So, um, as I said, a lot of rapid changes happening. There, there were some happening prior to COVID, but uh, I think COVID precipitated a lot. And in, in speaking with buyers uh, for the company I was representing, uh, many of them are trying to incorporate these new technologies. And so I, I had them from as far north as, um, and I'm based here in Raleigh, uh, companies as far north as uh, New York, uh, even uh, had a strong buyer from Minneapolis area. And they wanted to take um, and basically turn it into almost a virtual type practice, you know, which was in some ways counter to uh, some of the thoughts that my uh, clients uh, felt like would serve their, their, their current clients uh, the best. So. So we have a situation here where circumstances, the economy and, you know, the marketplace is evolving and changing. You have clients that have been in the business several decades, two to three decades. And you mentioned that term traditional business. And that meant face to face, getting to know your client, building relationships over a period of time. And we live in a world now that is moving, especially with kind of the the pandemic we've been dealing with to kind of a sometimes completely virtual or partially virtual environment and meeting and servicing clients. And it sounds like your client had very specific goals or a vision on how they wanted their clients treated. And it sounds like they took this very personally, that they wanted to make sure whoever was going to carry on the business and their legacy they'd spent decades building you know, took care of the clients. That's kind of what I'm reading between the lines. Am I reading and assessing that right? You're exactly right, Marvin. Um, uh, my firm, uh, we have a, a small boutique firm, and, and I really pay uh, close attention to what the client, my clients tell me what they want. And, and it's funny, um, a lot of the folks that I work with, yes, we, it, you know, the deals all start with the asking price and, or the, you know, what, what the business is valued in, but where we ultimately end up often is guided by uh, many of the other, you know, points along the way. And, and, and in this case, it was concern for their, their clients uh, treatment and well-being and, and service and, and all that sort of thing. And, and as I heard someone say legacy, uh, many owners, uh, want the, their businesses, their legacy, and they they want their clients and their employees that are that are you know left behind once the sale uh, happens. Uh, they want it uh, to happen. They want to have control over that as much as possible. And so it's not always just about the, the top line figure. There there are other things that go into it. And so um, this client was very. Uh, very much interested in uh, the type of buyer that would come in behind them. So you mentioned you had someone New York to Minneapolis. You mentioned two there. So the person from Minneapolis, I guess their vision being in Minneapolis, and this company was in the East Coast, they were looking at more of the virtual model, it sounds like, that they were looking to acquire or roll up, as you said, uh, companies around the country that they could leverage technology to create a virtual type of service business in, in the financial services sector. Is that kind of the strategy that they had? 
That that is that is, and and although that particular buyer, um, so many boxes that they check so many boxes, you know, in terms of uh, uh, great great mindsets, uh, customer service forward, um, you know, uh, great outlook. With, they were in expansion mode, all, all good things, but their ultimate vision, and they they let they let my client, the buyer, uh, the seller, know that uh, they wanted a basically a 100% virtual model uh, for for their for my clients um, current uh, base of clients so that's not really the vision that your clients had for their customers that didn't really set all that well with them it, exactly and, and that was something that they could never get past you know so you moved on and and kind of what happened who who uh, who else came to the table that was a better fit for their vision of who the buyer should be Right. Well, uh, over time, and I, I think the fact as as I introduced uh, other buyers to to my client, uh, they they started to see that this was uh, an evolving uh, situation with with COVID and and technology moving forward. That they they did start to um, warm up to some of that. Uh, you know, some of those ideas, but ultimately, uh, and we did. For, for your listeners, we, we did find a, a great fit, um, and it, it was someone who wanted to adopt a hybrid model where they did meet face-to-face with clients, and especially in the initial meeting, but then over time, if that client was willing to, to do so, they would move to a hybrid where they would meet you know, over video conference or phone call or, or whatever without having to be in physically in the same room with one another. Well, I think a lot of businesses are are evolving and changing and trying to incorporate this type of technology because well, depending on who you're listening to, this pandemic may eventually fade away, but there's probably going to be other uh, situations in the future that are going to demand this kind of hybrid model where we leverage technology. And so it sounds like you found a pretty good fit where it was kind of a hybrid approach and they felt comfortable with that, that their customers would be taken care of and their clients would be taken care of. That's right. That's right. So the big takeaway here sounds like a seller should look for buyers that kind of fit their vision and that not all buyers are created equal and you really should have some sort of an idea of who the eventual buyer of the business should be. Does that seem like something that is relevant in this situation as a good takeaway for our audience? I think so. Uh, as as a, uh, an intermediary or business broker, I do try my very best to uh, listen to what my client uh, wants. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in some comments that, um, uh, yes, the, the sales price is, is where the, the, the stake is set in the ground, but so many other pieces uh, are important in eventually finding that right buyer. I, I, I often say if, if you had three buyers and they all were offering the same uh, amount, but each one had some different uh, nuances to what they're, they're proposing, I want to understand from you, my client, what nuances are are most important to you so I can do my job for you 
uh, to try to select the best fit. I think that's well worth noting for our audience there is that the advisors that you do select and make sure they understand you know, what your vision for the business after the acquisition and the type of buyers that you believe to be a good fit. Well, we're going to take a short break here, Van, and we'll be back in a minute. As I share stories from intermediaries on the podcast, I get comments from entrepreneurs all the time that have questions and concerns about how to properly position their business for an eventual exit. One of their biggest concerns is what they need to do to optimize the value of their business when a time arrives for an eventual exit. I have prepared a report that outlines how any entrepreneur can literally double the amount of money they put into their pocket when they sell their business. While it may seem like I'm hyping how easy it is to maximize business value, it really isn't that easy. But if you do the right things, it's not as hard as you think. The real key is knowing what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. To get your free report, just go to www.businessexitstories.com forward slash report. Again, that's www.businessexitstories.com forward slash report. And I'll send you your free report. All right, Van, why don't you share a couple of other transactions that you've been involved in that have some great takeaways for those listening in today on this podcast? Sure. Well... From my perspective, uh, it's always uh, fun to tell of the ones that uh, do make it to close and, and you, you pop the champagne <laughs> uh, figuratively, um, you know, once, once it's done. But uh, you, you can also certainly learn from those that, um, that don't always make it to the finish line. And uh, w- one such example for me was um, an electrical contractor business that uh, I worked with. Was this a family type of business too? It was a father and son uh, partnership. Had been around for 15 plus years uh, and everything. Um, and as many of your listeners know, uh, that those services type industries are very hot right now. Um, uh, you know, very much in demand, you know, very, very quick to sell. And that's really driven by this whole concept of home-based businesses and services that relate to home businesses being in big demand now. And that's kind of what you're referring to, correct? Exactly. Yes. And being an electrical contracting business, that probably fits right into that sweet spot there. So tell me in uh, a father and son businesses, which can be challenging sometimes, how is that dynamic in this particular situation? Just like with any uh, relationship or partnership that you go into, you always go in with the, the best of intentions and um, you, you don't enter into those things lightly. So uh, it went well at the very beginning. But uh, ultimately, Marvin, it, it came down to uh, the two of them having different visions for the business and and um, what it would look like um, or what it should like look like on a day-to-day basis. Well, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here, Van. 
I would say that <laughs> the, the different visions probably included the father spending a lot more time away from the business and the son is a charger and wanted to grow the business. And when you get those type of situations where the time contribution isn't equal, but the compensation may be equal, you do tend to get a little friction there. <laughs> that I'm just taking a stab in the dark. But uh, well, well, you've obviously done this before, Marvin, because you are you are pretty close to the mark there. Uh, yes, there was a different distribution of, of the work involved. And um, the the father's vision uh, he had he had been doing it for much longer he he was more in a you know this is what we've done let's let's settle let's settle in on where we are uh, kind of approach and then the the son was uh, had the energy and and had not been doing it as long and uh, he was in a growth mode and and wanted to take the business and and add add more employees more more you know, uh, service vehicles on the road and, 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 and that sort of thing. And so there, there ultimately was, was just a, a different vision between them for, for the long term you know, of the, their business. I'm curious, in this situation with the father being kind of in a settle-in mode, as you put it, obviously his compensation didn't go down and he was probably going to the bank as regularly as he always did. And that's kind of what caused the friction here? That's right. Um, he had done the work and, and been there, done that, but um, that's not uh, that didn't sit very well with the son and and frankly uh, some of the other employees. Um, you know, um, you know, seeing seeing that situation happen, and so that created some uneasiness, um, you know, amongst the and maybe some morale issues in in the business. And did you talk to both partners? I mean, they obviously agreed that it was time to sell, maybe to resolve some of their differences. But did you actually chat with both of the father and the son? Or did the father handle the discussions? Or was it the son? I, I did because it was a partnership. And I, I, I was, you know, I was not going to do something without both having a buy-in naturally. But uh, ultimately, it was the son that, um, well, the, the father turned the reins of the discussions over to the son, and and because each kind of had uh, their own uh, way of looking at how the business should go, they actually decided to part ways, um, you know, and and approach the sale, you know, uh, and whatnot. So the the discussions were held mostly between me and the son, but. Uh, we we looped the father in as as often as he wanted to be a part of, of of those discussions. Okay, so in reviewing this, then we have a hot business, service oriented business in this kind of environment that we find ourselves in. I would imagine, based on that, that there was a lot of inbound interest. Over uh, over fifty inquiries, Marvin. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So sounds like the business should have sold overnight. Yeah. What happened? It was headed down a good path. Marvin, but as 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 time wore on, those uh, fissures, if you will, or or, or problems, issues uh, started to to grow within the business, and um, we started seeing some employee attrition. Why was there attrition? It sounded like the son was wanting to grow and to add vehicles in the field and bring on new people. Why would there be attrition? It sounded like the business was doing well. I'm trying to get my head around why employees would pack up and leave. Right. Well, 
because really uh, it was it was a fifty fifty ownership, Marvin, and um, the, the the way out was was through the sale, and it the the sale and the sales process um, made made the employees nervous, frankly. Okay, so we have a situation here where the employees really aren't all that excited about one of the partners who used to be involved, no longer involved, not carrying his weight. Um, they see the kind of the dynamics between the father and the son uh, creating a little friction here. They kind of pick up on that. And I know in any service business nowadays, whether it's heating and air or electrical or plumbing or whatever you have, and we have an electrical plumbing contract or electrical contractor here, uh, they don't have difficulty finding a job and sometimes a job paying more money. And so there's really nothing tying them to the business if they sense something going on. It sounds like they understood that the business was being sold and that creates uncertainty there too. So you got strife, uncertainty, and now you have employee turnover. And that can be a big deal in the sales process because that's what a buyer is looking to acquire. Yes. Um, and, and this happened a while ago, um, you know, Marvin, and, it, you know, for your listeners, um, wh- where we are in, in today's uh, market economy, um, employee, demand for employees is higher than ever. And, and these service and trade type industries, um, it's, th- there's, a, there's a running shortage anyway. So they, they know that um, it's, it's just a matter they, they, they're approached by other companies all the time with offers. And so when there was the least little bit of um, uncertainty for them in their role, I'm, I'm sure that that made them decide to jump. Okay. So you have a lot of interest initially. You got employee turnover. You got strife between the owners of the business. How did this unfold? I mean, what happened? Yes. Well, as I said at the beginning, I, I wish it had been a, a a happy ending for for everyone involved. But we we had so so many inquiries and interests that um, there were still people willing to to um, see what what could be salvaged or what could be left, uh, you know, or made to work. Oh, so so you're telling me you went from really a going concern, thriving business to a salvage situation, a distress sale type of scenario here because of the employee turnover? Yes. Wow, that's quite a turnaround. It was. It was. It was it was really not a great state of affairs and not something I enjoyed being a part of, uh, not, not just for my own situation, but primarily just to see um, what could have been, you know, for for the, uh, the father and son and what they could have walked away with. And instead, ultimately, we we tried to go to a closing and, and had got all the way down the path for a closing with with a buyer uh, at a much reduced price from where we started. And ultimately, um, the, the parties couldn't agree to some of the terms and, and things like that. And um, everyone uh, just decided to walk away at that point. Well, it sounds like a, a good learning point here, takeaway for this transaction, is that when you have partners 
family partners, father and son, or any type of partnership when you have a different vision and your objectives change. I mean, myself, I was involved in the business early in my career where my partner, my co-founder was a little bit older than I was. uh, And we grew the business for about 10 years. And then our objectives kind of changed. And unfortunately, we we were able to manage that situation and and conclude it successfully. In this particular situation, difference in partnership attitudes and workload and everything else and vision, and then having that strife flow over into the business and the business knowing is going to be sold, it sounds like they took a very valuable asset and took it right down to almost zero very quickly. Yes. That's a sad story. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I know. I know. It really was. And um, I think many of us, you know, tried, but um, it, it, I, I think at that point, Marvin, um, there had been enough damage done that it was it was almost insurmountable at that point. Yeah, once you get highly skilled electricians and they're hard to come by and they're not easy to replace, once you have a lot of turnover there, the value does dissipate very quickly. The biggest asset any business can have is the the happiness and the satisfaction and and the retention of their employees because that's really what they're selling or a big chunk of what they're selling. So let's move on to a transaction that had a little bit better outcome than this one. Uh, share share a transaction that uh, and a takeaway that worked out well. Sure. Well, uh, glad to end on a happy note. <laughs> uh, so this was um, uh, Marvin, a, a consulting type firm that I that I worked with. That um, really just uh, a pleasure uh, to, to work with uh, that that team. So tell me a little bit about the the founder or the owner of this consulting practice. Someone that uh, came from a corporate background, uh, many years in the corporate world, um, just super organized, um, had everything in place. Almost, you could almost say, if we're all looking in our in our uh, business, uh, the ideal client. Um, this would be the ideal client. So you're talking about someone that, as you said, was organized, had good management practices, understood the importance of financial statements and processes in his business. A lot of consulting firms are just a consultant or relatively few people. Did he actually build a team that didn't necessarily require him to be there on a day-to-day basis where he could focus on business development type of stuff? Uh, you're, you're exactly right. This person, because of uh, all of their background and, and then their their years of experience, uh, you know, with this business, they they recognize the importance of building a successful team, uh, and and all their team members uh, had their roles and and fulfilled their roles and uh, did great with their their customers and uh, just just a real you know pleasure to work with. Uh, they made this the business, Marvin, and, and I'll use the term saleable. It, it was they they had basically no uh, real you know discernible gaps in their business to to a buyer. It, it was really a turnkey business. So you got a situation here where it's kind of turnkey. There's a management team in place. The existing owner was focusing on business development. The new owner would probably do the same because uh, all the pieces were there. 
to take care of new and existing clients. Uh, I'm curious, were the numbers, uh, you know, the sales continuing to grow? Yes, even through COVID, they were trending up, which is which you which is what you want to see. So yes, they were very numbers focused and focused on their team, Marvin, um, and and were constantly looking at ways to improve their business as well. What would be the big takeaway here? Well, uh, to take you know this client and, and their business, they were willing to turn the mirror around on themselves and and constantly uh, see what needed improvement, uh, look at how others may may look at them and and uh, if they were buying their own business, what would make it attractive to others? Well, that's a great insight here. You know, they almost looked at it. Their business is what would a buyer want to see, uh, as you say, turn the mirror on the business and themselves. And credit to the consultant, you know, the main guy to be able to build a team uh, other than himself. And that doesn't always happen in a personal services oriented type of business uh, where the person is the team, you know, type of situation. And it sounds like you didn't have any problem finding a buyer. Right. Um, I had a very short list, Marvin. Um, you know, g- going back to some, some earlier discussions, um, I really try to listen to my, my clients. And I knew what this client was, was looking for in, in a potential buyer. And I had a short list of, um, of uh, individuals that I thought would, would meet this, these criteria. And so, fortunately, we didn't have to go down a, a long list before we found, uh, uh, you know, the right fit and made some introductions early. And there were synergies between uh, buyer and seller. And um, from there, it was off to the races. Well, I think that's something our audience should take note of is that the value of a good advisor in a transaction like this is you know, their understanding of the industry, the people they know who are buyers out there, sometimes are other companies and private equity and they're people they've dealt with over years and they know what others are looking for. So when a client comes and says, this is my business, I want to sell, they already have a built-in client list of people that might be interested in that business. And that's really one of the real benefits of working with an expert like yourself. Well, Van, this has been great. You've had some very interesting and insightful transactional stories here you've been involved with. And I think those takeaways for those that are listening do hold a lot of value of how you can look at your own business and use the experience of others so you don't do like one of the stories we chatted about here. You took it from a going enterprise to a distressed sale because of how the business exit was handled. You don't want to be in that situation so you can learn from that, uh, take away from that. Van, if someone wanted to reach out and get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, sure. Uh, and thank you, Marvin. Again, um, my, my company is Van Daughtry Consulting, LLC. I'm based here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I focus primarily on the sell side of the transaction, but occasionally do some buy side work as well. I do both non-franchise and franchise work. Uh, so I work with family-owned businesses and have also uh, dealt with uh, franchise owners as well. My phone number is 919-780-9144. That's 919-780-9144. And uh, my email address is uh, van, V-A-N, at 
vdconsulting.com. All right. Well, Van, it's been delightful chatting with you here today. And so this is Marvin L. Storm with the Business Exit Stories podcast saying we'll see you on our next episode. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember, maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.